guys. Welcome to Overcrest. I'm Chris. And I'm Jake. And we have a fun episode for you guys today. We have the head of PR, head of Veloster and uh, PR department, guy that works with SEMA, Derek Joyce on the podcast. He's basically the the enthusiast branch here in America uh, with Hyundai. It's a very and cool interview. It's a really cool interview. And I, whenever I would think Honda as of even five years ago, it was just, I would think of the Hyundai Pony or the Elantra or something just terrible. Kind of malaise. Not even. <laughs> not even, not even. but since they uh they got they scored albert bierman who's head of the m division from bmw from BMW's right. over there and they seem to be doing some really really good things and i wanted to talk to him about that so we that and they had the car that won the road and track performance car of the year exactly so it's really really intriguing so i wanted to have him on and talk about all that and then also talk about you know ev and hydrogen cars and some engineering kind of their like future that. yeah yeah which is kind of the future for everyone so right. it's really really interesting to talk to him um but before we get into that we want to talk about our our little project updates okay. a little bit and before we get into that what have we got? We've got Worth, our sponsor, Worth USA. Worth is a family-owned global company that's been in operation since 1945. They offer high-quality, professional-grade shop supplies and tools with industry-leading customer service. They've also just launched their world-class hand tool line to the U.S. market. And Chris, these are German-made tools with a lifetime warranty. So check them and all of their products out. Head over to WorthUSA.com. That's W-U-R-T-H-U-S-A.com. So I've been working on my car a lot. A lot? A lot. I would say a lot. Finally. What do you mean, finally? You spent months just sitting there talking about working on it. Well, first of all, I had to get my parts. Right. And I didn't get my parts till three weeks ago. Right. So let's not pretend that I've just been sitting on my laurels this whole time. Hey. I had no parts. So when you were over, we we cut everything up. Yeah. So when I came over, then the work started, yeah. is what you're saying. And I think we need to work on your... Uh, your drill bit discipline a little bit. <laughs> oh, you're li- you went a little bit overboard with the uh, with the bit for drilling out the spot welds. Yeah. You don't need to drill through no, both panels. I, I do know that. So now. I have a zillion holes in the a lot bottom of, of my car. So yep. I'm going to have to figure that out, which is kind of going to be a little bit of a pain. <laughs> uh, not a big deal. We'll figure it out. But I got the the front pan is not welded in, but it's in. It's trimmed. Okay. It's in there. It's bolted to the jig. the The front latch panel is there. It looks like it's going to fit great. And that's all the farther I got. Which was a lot of work. It was, was it? a lot of work, a lot of drilling out spot welds to remove uh, different pieces that we that needed to be cut off to clearance right. for things. And needless to say, it looks pretty good with some new metal in there. Yeah. Um, do you know if you can weld through e coating? Is that something you can weld through? Oh, the stuff that's on the like the my new fe- metal, the, the black. Like my fender is black. That's e coated. Can you weld through that? Do you I know, or do you need to grind? I would it? grind it off. Yeah, some of that stuff. I didn't know if it was weldable or not. Uh, one of our listeners, Logan, was saying I could maybe work with them to get some of the e coating done. And I was like, well, it would be nice to e coat some of that stuff. You know, just keeps it from rusting. And sure. if it gets behind somewhere, there's maybe a little bit of coating on. Because are those new panels just those are just bare? It's bare. Okay. Yeah, they're bare metal. So. I don't know if they were in primer or something. Nope, they are bare steel. I don't know if they stamp them and send them right out to you or what, but they're not coated in anything. Right. And obviously, it's cold in the garage. It's wintertime, so it's dry. True. So nothing is flash rusting or anything right. like that. If, if it was a humid summer, it'd be a whole different story. True. So um, anything going new? Oh, by the way, I've been practicing my welding. I saw that. I have been watching you with your welding. It is welding it's 20 improving. gauge steel is very, very hard. Yeah, it's it is. very thin. I could weld quarter inch plate together like nobody's <laughs> well, business. Yeah, you know, you, you just turn there. the power up and yeah. just like cook the bacon right there. And you just exactly. nail it. This stuff is really, really thin. Yeah, and it's very, very difficult to weld. It's to the point where I've got the power right, I've got the the wire feed speed right, and what really changes how it works is the angle at which I'm yes. approaching. Right. So it's whether I'm pushing or pulling the weld down the well, steel. Well, that and the angle of the tip. Yes, also is a big factor. Big factor. So that's kind of the stuff I'm learning. I'm not. I don't have a ton of. Experience experience welding but i did cut metal in half about 10 times and weld it back <laughs> together again last night yeah just to try and get, i think i've got to figure it figured out so good um the problem is is that if it's if i hold too long in one split space it blows it out right, right. it just yeah. disintegrates it and just because i'm i'm welding right on a gap yep so it'll just blow it out on both sides of the gap but if i go too low a power it doesn't penetrate to both sides of the Correct. steel which is a problem because then it's super weak and that's always a challenge with welding right you need to get it's a good, balance yeah so that's been kind of the challenges going back and forth on that i think i have it figured out 
and I ground all my welds on both sides, and you can't even tell that I welded it, and it's nice yeah. and strong. And I'm probably overthinking of it a little bit because it's just it's an inner fender, right? So it's nothing that anybody's really ever going to see. No, it's going to be covered by the wiring harness. But I'm trying to get better at it. So when I do want to weld somewhere that you can see. Maybe it'll be uh, something that I could, you know, have on a body panel someday. Sure. Which, if I have to fix my passenger side fender, which has a little bit of rust on the bottom, then you might have to do maybe that. Maybe I might have to do that. So before I take it to someone else to be repaired, or before I buy another two thousand dollar fender, <laughs> maybe once everything else is done, I'll cut it open and I'll try and see what I can do to make it work. I think that's a good plan. All right. So let's get. What did you What did you think of the interview? I thought it was very good. I just listened to it. Uh, aside from the times when you threw me under the bus when I wasn't here to defend myself. Yeah, it was well, always great. Stay tuned for that. <laughs> <laughs> Here's my interview with Derek Joyce from Hyundai. Hello. Mr. Derek Joyce, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast, man. Thank you. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Yeah, it's it's great to have you here. We've been talking about uh, Hyundai a lot on the podcast, which is, you know, a lot of our audience, like I, like I told you via email is, you know, enthusiasts and Porsche enthusiasts and European car enthusiasts. And somehow sure. Hyundai keeps coming up in the discussion over and over and over again. Um, mm -hmm. So I really want to get into that with you. But before we do okay. that, I want to kind of know what you do at Hyundai. So I'm in the PR department, the communications department for Hyundai. I do product public relations and my title is senior manager of product PR and advanced powertrain PR. So, so you do the, the end models and you're working on the hydrogen stuff and everything else, right? Right. I work a lot on uh, end everything to do with the end brand and end models um, and the CUVs, the CV models, the Nexo hydrogen fuel cell and SEMA show, uh, you know, aftermarket uh, and enthusiast um, sorts of activities. Right on. Why, why do you work in this industry? Where did this start for you? There must have been kind of a thing that kind of kicked this off because oh, you don't end up working on end models and SEMA without having some sort of enthusiast yeah. blood. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm a lifetime car guy. So my family, uh, uh, for your older uh, drivers, will may, some of them may remember the old cow bugs out in California. These were lowered um, uh, Volkswagen Beetles um, back in the day that were pretty good performing vehicles, a lot of fun to drive. Um, there was a whole design theme around those. My brothers were into those. And so as a young, young boy, um, the fourth of four kids, um, I developed an appreciation for performance and great sounds, air-cooled engines, uh, affordable performance, dual carburetors, dual exhaust, the whole thing. So um, it kind of, you know, we loved to ride motorcycles, um, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of uh, back in the day, um, riding uh, little motocross bikes, little stingrays and such. So spent a lot of time on wheels and, and, uh, enjoying things that make a lot, make great sounds sure. and develop a, a lifetime passion for it. So it, it kind of just grew out of that. And I've, I've basically, uh, always been in the car business. So how did you score the job at Hyundai? That's a pretty decent gig that you've got going. Yeah. I mean, I, I had many years in uh, product planning, so I've, I've done product planning at Mazda. I started my career at Mazda. I was there around five years in Mazda R and D Mazda North American operations, uh, worked on the, uh, original Miata. Um, when, when that came to market and things like that, uh, I, I did some time at uh, Lincoln Mercury Ford. And uh, quick question about the Miata, since you were sure. involved in that. Yeah. What people don't always realize is that car was kind of risky when it first came out, right? I mean, oh, it was yeah. it was inspected to be just like this uh, this touchdown that Mazda was going to throw. Yeah, yeah, no, it was um, you know because it was a unique platform. The car, the reason the car was a success is because they didn't cut corners on that car. That car was made to be. Um, like a British uh, 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 motoring experience, you know, really enjoyable on B roads, small roads, um, the classic British uh, roadster rotoring, uh, mo motoring experience, but with uh, Japanese uh, qu uh, quality levels. So, um, and it was, it fulfilled all those, those missions. So there was a whole group of people that still wanted to have fun driving cars that weren't overly powered, um, but were utterly reliable. And that car was utterly reliable I believe their launching price was twelve thousand nine nine ninety nine, which was a smoking deal even back then. Sure. And and just the car is just a ton of fun, and you could just pound on it. It would. I never still break. haven't driven one of these things. I'm like I'm oh, I'm you, scared to drive one because I don't want to like it because I always make fun of them. So I've kind of <laughs> I've kind of resisted a little bit. So oh. I'm sure the day will come. So so you get this job at Hyundai, and yeah. this is circa when when it, when did you start working there? Uh, at Hyundai, I've been at Hyundai right now. Just clipped. I just clipped uh, 16 years. Okay. So that what was it like 16 years ago? 
Because it's not like it is today. Things were different. Because when I think Hyundai, I think of the Hyundai of 16, 20 years ago. And it it doesn't seem like it's anything like it is today. Well, it's your your observation is spot on. Um, um, I've been able to see all these incredible uh, moves that the company has made. Um, back in around the, the turn of the century, uh, or not turn of the century, yeah, turn of the century for Hyundai. Um, you know, it seems Hyundai, weird to say turn of the century. <laughs> turn of the century but, uh, but basically, you know, zero, zero. Um, uh, Hyundai, you know, had, had a little bit of trouble in U.S. Sales were faltering a little bit at that time. Um, things were going on. And they made a, a global directive, a uh, very powerful one. And the reason you know that is because there was money behind it. And, and uh, the top management uh, executive said, uh, quality is going to be our absolute number one priority, bar none. Um, we're going to have phenomenal quality cars. What okay? was the priority before that, if that wasn't already the priority? Well, I, I think it was a directive. It was, it, you know, it's not like that wasn't part of the equation, but <laughs> right. it, was a, it was a directive through all silos. So everyone was, I think it was the marching orders were complete and comprehensive and they were understood to be comprehensive. And here's the thing, the proof's in the pudding, because we can look back, it's 2020. And if you look back, this, the gains in quality have been super steady and dramatic and, and just very, very impressive to the most um, strict uh, automotive journalists in the world. Um, They, they drive them, they pound on them, they test them. And the vehicles are very, very durable. The interior qualities are is improved unbelievably since uh, since that time period. Powertrains are utterly reliable. Utterly reliable. We have a ten-year, hundred thousand-mile warranty on our powertrains. So, um, so, but this didn't know, happen overnight, right? I mean, what was there had to have been kind of like a long-term plan over 15, 20 years to to, yes. to kind of get where you are today. What was the first step to being where you are today? What did you guys start doing? Um, I, I think, wow. I mean, it's hard to say on a development side, you know, these, most of these initiatives took place in Korea, uh, where most of the cars are made, some are made in America. Um, and it just was an absolute priority on, uh, long-term durability, uh, uh, complete, um, sustainability of the entire vehicle, that it would last a long time, that it would stand up to the warranty, um, claims we were, uh, not claims, but, um, promises we were giving our customers at that time. And um, again, we, we came out with America's best warranty and we've maintained it ever since. It was, we put our money where our mouth is and, and the engineers worked hard to develop cars that were durable and, and held up in all conditions. And uh, it's not just the powertrain, it's electronics, it's everything else. You know, Hyundai, one of the things people don't understand about Hyundai is we're one of the leaders when it comes to um, in-car navigation, uh, audio-visual navigation systems. Um, we're one of the leaders because Korea is one of the global leaders in phone technology. Right. Um, Samsung, LG, et cetera. Um, these are phenomenal phones. They're they're on the cutting edge. And uh, that connection to the auto industry is very, very close. So um, we had we our electronics and our, um, you know, user interface technologies are really, really good. And they're very they're very generous. So when you buy a new Elantra, you're just amazed at what you get on a base car. It's insane. So um, when people think about where Hyundai is going, though, they don't look at the infotainment systems and stuff like that. They no, look at no, the no. kind of the build quality and stuff that you guys have been doing. And right. when I think of um, the first model that comes to mind when I think of old Hyundais is like the Hyundai Pony, you know, from, yes. from way, way back in the day. And I saw that you guys had a cool concept car that we talked about one time. But I want to try right. and go way back and try and figure out where Hyundai came from as a company. Yeah. Like, where did they right. where did they start? What was the inception of of Hyundai? Well, I, I can only really speak to uh, the, the Korean company, I believe, started in the mid-60s. Um, there's a history with the, uh, the chairman uh, having uh, an automotive background, I believe a service background. I don't have that top fresh of mind, but there's an automotive background there. He uh, started the company. The, the U.S. Uh, market is what I can really speak to more. And um, that started in 1985. You'll remember the Hyundai XL. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 49.95, I believe it was. Um, so that came into the market. That was our break into the market. That's like thirty percent less than a rabbit at the time. That's cheap. Yeah. I mean, that's it was really cheap. It was cheap. cheap. Yes. Now, now the vehicle did have some issues, and um, that's where I think the changeover, the the directive that went to the entire company was understood by the entire company um, more around the zeros. That um, really gave everybody clear marching orders and moved out of some of those issues that we had in the '90s with the vehicles 
and um, you know into a modern global competitor that's that's super competitive with everyone. All of our, all the JD Power um, uh, surveys, um, we're right up there with the top top makers, Toyota, Honda, et cetera. I think what you're doing is you're going from cars that people feel like they have to drive to cars that people feel like they want to drive. I think that's yes. that's probably the the difference between the 90s and now. Um, I you're dead on. You're dead on. You're clipping all of the key points because, um, yeah, as we you know, as we hit quality, as we gave uh, America's best warranty. OK. And we knew we were fulfilling that we continue to fulfill it. But we were that was one of the early goals. Right. And then we we began to add other components that are moved towards the emotional spectrum from from complete rational to emotional. So rational is going to be warranty and quality. Um, price point, right? Which Hyundai's always been a tremendous value company. Um, so those were on the rational side, and we owned those, say, you know, between zero five and zero ten that time frame. Um, and then we began to add a lot more emotional components, which included design. First of all, it included design. Um, if you've been following our design, our design really has um, improved dramatically. Added a lot more emotional appeal, and many of our products. Um, uh, you know, uh, especially automotive journalists really saw the changes and saw the appeal. And, and when you say, was, when you say design and design emotion, um, mm-hmm. I think like, uh, my co-host who might actually show up sometime during the podcast today always thinks mm-hmm. that the majority of people think that cars are appliances. And I always argue with them. I said, no, they're mm-hmm. lifestyle choices. They're emotional choices from people, even if they aren't car enthusiasts, it's still, it's still a physical thing that can be an extension and a representation of who you are. Um, how yeah. does a company like Hyundai because it's easy if you're making a, a Porsche 911 or an AMG mm-hmm. this, that, or the other thing to kind of tap mm-hmm. into emotion a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. With How do you do that with as a company like Hyundai? Yeah, so it's maybe more subtle um, than with, say, a 911. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we, I, I'm going to use the word flamboyant. We moved into more flamboyant, more expressive would be a better word, um, designs with Hyundai. If you look at our Sonata, which is you know, our bread and butter midsize sedan, um, you look over that over the last 15 to 20 years, you can clearly see the expression of emotion and appeal um, that appealed to a lot of people. And um, it just increased, you know, the, the, the cars around zero zero were very flat, more flat sided, right. Yeah. Um, less, less nuances in the sheet metal. Um, and we just began to ex- allow our designers more expression and uh, more fluidic shapes in our, in our, um, in our sheet metal. And we just continue to evolve that. It's it's a continual evolution. You know, sometimes we've done uh, revolutionary designs. There have been a couple generations where they were very revolutionary. And then we backed off and had more evolutionary designs. And virtually every car maker does this. Um, they push it. And then they say, oh, maybe that was a little too far. Or they push, <laughs> push the envelope. And then and they back off a little bit. And then by the time you get to the next generation, they're ready to push it again. Right. And and so uh, Hyundai has certainly done that. And, you know, we, we do a lot of consumer evaluation and testing design evaluation with consumers. And uh, we constantly monitor what they think of the products. So what is the what is the N program? What does N mean when you talk about because you see like Hyundai, you know, and what is what is that? Yeah. So N uh, stands for three things. So it's first of all, it's Hyundai's, uh, Hyundai's global performance brand. Okay, and it stands for for three things. It stands for Namyang, which is our R and D center in Korea, South Korea. Uh, it's our full R and D center uh, where we do a lot of testing. It also stands for Nurburgring because we have a com- comprehensive test facility and engineering center at the Nurburgring with our European facilities, um, and we use the Nurburgring constantly for testing uh, a lot of our products. So you guys have a building over there. Yeah, definitely, oh, definitely. That's we awesome. got a full, full engineering, full into a lot of people wouldn't know that. Um, a lot of full engineering setup over there um, with guys you can really drive. I've ridden with them, and uh, it's a they- scary place to drive, man. <laughs> I'm telling you, if people play it on fours and whatever. They have no idea. It is terrifying. You know? Yes, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So there's a full full commitment there, and finally, the last piece of N uh, is uh, Albert Behrman likes to say that you know if you look at the carousel at the Nurburgring. Um, if you look at it from a helicopter standpoint, um, it's it's a perfect chicane. And if you turn the N on its side, it forms that chicane in the end. So those are the sure. three pieces of, of sort of our N branding. So speaking of Albert Bierman, did how did mm-hmm. he end up coming over to Hyundai? I mean, that, that was a brilliant uh, move, really. Well, I've had the privilege. The, the good thing is I've had a lot of privilege of sitting in personally with a lot of interviews with um, Albert Bierman. So I have gotten a good sense of him. And For the uh, listeners, who is Albert Bierman? So Albert Behrman was the former uh, head of BMW M division. So knows a thing or two about performance. Right. And um, he's a gentleman. Uh, I don't know his exact age, but you know, 50, 60s. 
and um, you know, reaching the pinnacle of his career. And um, uh, he, there was an opportunity. Was my understanding is he was presented an opportunity by Hyundai to come over and form this new uh, performance division to have a clean sheet. You know, when was blank. this? Kind of when? Um, two, a couple of years, a couple three years ago. Okay, a couple three years ago. Yeah, I don't have the exact, but two or three years about about that amount of time, and. Um, and he was offered that, and given all the circumstances uh, that were BMW, he had accomplished great things, he had a great relationship there, but I think it was more of a personal aspiration, and he said, you know what, I'm going to take this opportunity to create a clean sheet, and I think that was one of the major appeals, um, was clean sheet approach to be, you know, to be able to make you know, his own directives really quickly and comprehensively and build a fantastic, uh, exciting product, so uh, he took the upper, long and short of it. He took the took the opportunity and came over and began working on N. And uh, there are two two N products at the moment, pure N products. One is the uh, Veloster N for the U.S. market, which just won uh, Road and Track's Performance Car of the Year, first time out of the gate. And the other is the i30 N in Europe, which has had phenomenal European reviews from Automotive and Sport and all of the leaders. Basically, uh, really really strong competitor to, to Golf R. Uh, high-end GTIs and uh, similar, you know, similar products over there. Well, it's interesting. The the end programs, like it's come out of nowhere over the last two or three years, right? All of a sudden, boom, here we are. End program uh-huh. wins Rota Tracks Car of the Year. And, mm-hmm. you know, Albert Bierman said, quote, if I think it's the right time to make a mid-engine end car that can rival mm-hmm. Porsche, and when we think it's the right time to make a car, we will make it. It's that simple. Mm-hmm. Maybe the powertrain mm-hmm. might be a bit different in the conventional Porsches, but philosophically, mm-hmm. there are no limits. So, I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's serious you guys are up to serious business behind the closed doors. You know, you're after everybody. And what I think is really, really interesting is if you look at companies like Porsche and BMW and Mercedes in the in the 80s and 90s, most of these cars were kind of attainable. They were kind of simple. You could get out and you could drive them. And it seems mm-hmm. that a lot of the, you know, the luxury sports cars have been kind of, uh, have gotten kind of quagmired in their own luxury and their own, and, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm sad to say it because these are all my favorite brands when, sure. when you think about it. But it's like this: these end cars come out and they're like, hey, and that's why you won car of the year, you know, in, mm-hmm. in the magazine. It's because this car right. is made for people that like to drive. And it's it's almost going against the grain a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. It is a revisit to the roots. You know, look, our, our position, like I mentioned earlier, is, is a strong value position. It doesn't mean a cheap car, but it does mean a superb, superb value. There's virtually nobody on the planet that doesn't appreciate value. Even if you like luxury, you still like value um, because, you know, they're not they're not mutually exclusive. Well, one but, thing that uh, I think is the struggle, and this is the only struggle I think that Hyundai has, is the pedigree, mm-hmm. right? Because we can look yeah. at the end and we can go, man, this thing's amazing. It's a great car. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't have the right. pedigree of saying, yeah, we won the DTM championship three times in 1990, 89, right. 90, 91, whatever. So how do you mm-hmm. how do you convince the people that are stuck on pedigree in their mind to go, yeah. well, let's take a look at this regardless? Well, the pedigree, by its very definition, uh, we could look it up in the dictionary, but the very definition is going to include a heritage, right? An established heritage. So for those interested in hardcore pedigree, it's going to take time. I mean, the answer is it's going to take time. But for those who want to be on the cutting edge of something that is a tremendous fun to drive, tremendous value, super durable, um, super track capable, very much the gentleman racer of, you know, drive, take the car from your house, drive to work all week and then drive it to the track. And it holds up and drive it home and then drive it the next week. Um, the Veloster N can do that. So it's in that tradition. Um, and that's the same tradition as many of these, um, you know, Porsche, BMW, et cetera. Um, that tradition of being, being able to take your car, take it to a, a solid track day and, and have the confidence that it's going to hold up and give you a great time. And then still put the air conditioning on when you're driving home. Sure. So, so um, you know, a Hyundai, um, the, the N will hold up to that. Um, obviously it doesn't have the pedigree yet. It's got to earn that. You know, well, every pedigree is takes, there's one step, right? I mean, in, yeah. in 1964, when the Porsche came out, there was the first race that it ever won, you know, yes. when the 911, the first race it ever won happened at one time, you know, right, that, right. that happened. So what are you guys doing to kind of get involved with motorsports and that pedigree? What s- steps are you guys putting forward to get there? So, so for the Veloster N, we have the Veloster N TCR cars and we're in the TCR series. We're racing and that we've been very successful. And, uh, we've, and that's touring car, right? Yes. Yes. Touring car. Um, and that has a European program and a U.S. component and, uh, they've been very successful. So for those who are interested in those series, that's, that's where we've been competing. Um, 
historically before and we did have the WRC cars, which were also very successful, um, World Rally cars, and they were a little bit more small car based, uh, European small car based. Um, and uh, those, again, they had their own following, but it, as you know, Rally is more of a European interest. So um, right. uh, we had that we had that background. Sadly, but, uh, that, sadly, it's that a is, European interest. I wish I really wish there was more interest here. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Um, but uh, yeah, so you know, basically, that's 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 where we're manifesting ourselves in road more sports at the moment. That's where, where our budgets can allow. So when you look at what Albert Bierman said, the quote that I read earlier, you have to imagine that competing with Porsche that's monumental, right? That's David and Goliath. But mm-hmm. when you boil it down to what's going on with the shift towards EV. It's always mm-hmm. my thought that when we simplify these drivetrains and we take, when you have a, with a combustion engine, there's all kinds of different suppliers and R and D and everything that's going on. When it mm-hmm. comes to electric motors and stuff like that, it's a much simpler powertrain. A lot of yeah. it is software and controllers. And then you have the electric motor, which you can only do an electric motor so many ways. Right. right. So, so you boil down these cars and you make them into these performance cars. Is that's what's going is the simplicity of the development. What's going to make it possible to compete with someone like Porsche? Yeah, I, I think that's a big component. Um, you know, we did make a sizable investment in relationship with Remac. Um, they're a global uh, battery technology leader. Yeah. They have uh, ties we, with Porsche too, don't they? Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying is yeah. in terms of batteries, you know, I believe they're in Croatia and, uh, you know, they're a global leader and, and they had the foresight. See, again, because you have Beerman's background, he knows these different companies. He knows who the leaders are and they forged that they've already forged that relationship and they're working with them aggressively now. So, yeah, you're right. We will leverage those 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 um, expert market expertise of these types of companies and be able to produce powertrains that are very exciting and affordable, too. And um yeah, so that's that's one of the ways that I think we'll be able to offer a driving experience that will rival some of these leaders. So you have different things being said by different companies, like Honda the other day, and I think uh, BMW said they were kind of thinking hydrogen cars are pushing some money there, and Honda mm-hmm. said, well, maybe we shouldn't put all of our eggs in one basket with all this EV, mm-hmm. we're going to do more hybrids, and then you have mm-hmm. Volkswagen throwing like 60, 90 billion dollars into mm-hmm. EVs and stuff like that. Um, right. Do you think some of these companies are being a little bit myopic on the future with the amount mm-hmm. of money they're putting into just EV? Uh, we, yeah, and and again, you can always tell what somebody believes by where they put their money, right? Right. And uh, and so Hyundai's philosophy. I've done a lot of work on our eco lineup, and um, uh, you know we have a good amount of hybrids, strong hybrid lineup, strong plug-in hybrid lineup. Um, we've added a couple uh, really good EVs, our Ionic EV and our Kona EV, which is uh, was North American a utility vehicle of the year and last year, and um, uh, and the Nexo uh, hydrogen fuel cell uh, EV. So yeah, we have a comprehensive approach. It's very much a full spectrum approach. Our philosophy is: look, um, every one of these powertrains has um, a good fit for different types of consumers. And oversimplified, the EV is great for smaller vehicles and shorter distances and more urban types of settings. Um, going to the other extreme, the hydrogen fuel cell technology is, is first of all, fully scalable, but it, it has a great application for heavier vehicles like SUVs and provides tremendous range. The Nexo has a range of 380 miles. That's the greatest range of any zero emissions vehicle. My co-host Jake immediately is like, they're all going to just explode. That's that's his that's that's what he says. Yep, I'm not driving a hydrogen car. That is a bomb. Have you ever seen the Hindenburg? He says. Um, how do you respond to you know safety and and feasibility of such high pressure and how do you refuel those and stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, I mean, we, I have a lot of background in the safety. We did a safety video on it recently. Um, look, the nutshell way to explain it would be: look, it completely meets and exceeds all of the U.S. government crash requirements for a gasoline vehicle. Uh, just so you know, gasoline's highly explosive. Yes, it, uh, is. <laughs> so, it does so, burn. Yeah, but we've gotten we've gotten used to it, right? We like everything. We've gotten used to gasoline. We all know it's dangerous, but we know that it's pretty rare that it happens. But but it can happen. It can happen, and. Um, so, uh, you know, get, fuel has energy in it and, you know, Tesla's get on fire as well. So it, it meets all the same standards that these other fuels have met that are, you know, the U.S. government's very strict in its safety requirements. And the Nexo meets and exceeds uh, those standards by a very high margin. So it's a very safe vehicle. I drive it a lot. Uh, the, 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 to give it in engineering terms, um, the tanks 
on that, they're so durable and strong in their construction that basically the rest of the vehicle will crush before the tanks. So um, yes, you might have deformation because you have to absorb crash energy in a crash, like any vehicle, doesn't matter what the vehicle is, but you're gonna dissipate that crash energy into the other metal um, long before it's gonna get to the uh, tanks. The tanks are just the most, most robust piece. Of- so it's not a Pinto is what you're saying. It's not a Pinto, and it, you're going to crush everything else first. So, so what are the prospects of performance with hydrogen? Has anybody done anything with performance hydrogen, or is it all econ- uh, economy-based right now? Uh, it's really kind of – you can take it wherever you want. Think of hydrogen. Here's how you think of it. It's a electric vehicle, because it is. It's a purely electric vehicle where you make your own power on board on demand. That's the difference between hydrogen and an electric vehicle. They're both electric motors, Okay. But you're, you're making uh, your power in a hydrogen vehicle on demand in real time. So, so it's not stored. You have a very small, small amount of electricity stored on board in batteries. It's basically a buffer system. Um, and so when you push the pedal down on a hydrogen vehicle, it's going to create that energy. You have your own power plant on board, and you create it out of the hydrogen through electrolysis. All right, eighth grade mode. What do you mean by it creates the energy? Break it down. What well, do you- uh, so, so you take the hydrogen and the process is called, um, uh, it's electrochemical process. And in the hydrogen fuel cell, the hydrogen will mate up with the, um, uh, with oxygen. It's, and the, the two byproducts are an electric current and water. Those are the two byproducts. That's why there's no emissions. The emissions coming out of the tailpipe are utterly friendly to the environment. There's virtually zero emissions. Um, and the two, those are the two byproducts. So you take the water goes out the tailpipe and the um, very little amount. And then the other byproduct is electricity. And you feed that right into the electric motor. And so you use it. But you're using it real time. Whereas electric vehicle, one of the limitations is if you have a heavy electric vehicle, you got to store all of this energy in batteries. Well, if you have a heavy vehicle or you want to go a long distance, guess what? you got to store a lot of energy. That costs a lot of money, takes more time. You have to have bigger batteries, et cetera. So... Uh, they start uh, physically. They start to run into limitations as they get into heavier vehicles. Um, so electric electric vehicle sweet spot is really on the smaller end of the vehicle spectrum. As you move into heavier, larger vehicles, which a lot of Americans like, right? SUVs are pretty popular. Um, hydrogen fuel cells start to make a lot more sense because they have better energy density and they make their own power real time. So um, they're why, just really why good aren't we just there? Why did we do? Is it because Elon Musk came along with grand ideas and everybody just started like walking well, I, into the I, church of Elon and here we are. Cause it seems like yeah. we just, why did we do this? It's, why didn't we just well, go straight do, to the hydrogen? Well, I do think they have their, they all have their sweet spots. So again, Hyundai's still going to make hybrids, still going to make plugins, still going to make EVs. And they're also going to make, they're a leader already in fuel cell technology. So it's really depends on each consumer, what their needs are, how sure. big their family is. So, uh, when am know, I buying a, a hydrogen car? When is that going to happen? Where I'm walking out and I'm paying 25,000, $30,000 for a basic hydrogen car. Price point. Well, where do you live? <laughs> <laughs> I'm in Minnesota. Yeah. So, so here's the issue the, the vehicles are phenomenal. I drive them all the time. They're super reliable, super refined, a pleasure to drive. Trust me. What do they but, sound like? Do they just... Does it make uh, any it's, weird? It's, no, it's an electric vehicle. Okay, it's so you don't really hear much. It's virtually silent. And, um, you know, we have artificial sound in it to warn p- pedestrians. Um, when you accelerate it, it sounds a bit like a spaceship. And, uh, you know, and that's basically to give a very light sound to uh, pedestrians and, you know, just to have an awareness of the vehicle and parking lot. I'm still waiting for the day when someone hacks that and it's just making all kinds of weird, wacky sounds <laughs> as the cars are driving around. That's possible. That's possible. The only issue for Minnesota at the moment is that, you know, we need to get hydrogen stations out there. The hydrogen stations do cost some money to develop. Um, They deliver the hydrogen at high pressure. So that takes uh, technology and energy to do. The technology is ready. It's just a cost factor. And California right now has about 40 to 45 uh, hydrogen stations throughout the state. So you can travel all the way from Tijuana all the way way past Tahoe in a a hydrogen uh, vehicle in California. And we just haven't broken into the other states. The most likely places that we'll break into will be California first and then the Northeast. The Northeast will be the next big area, New York, Massachusetts, Connecticut, et cetera. These are the ZEV states, zero emission states that are going to focus on uh, zero emission solutions first. So we have that basically we have this infrastructure problem with EVs, right? And we have Mm -hmm. the gasoline infrastructure is already there. So that's kind of the hurdle for EVs. It seems like if we have gasoline hybrids and we have Mm -hmm. electric cars and then we have mm-hmm. hydrogen hybrid situations going on we're gonna have three mm-hmm. different un- infrastructures that you think c- can live in the same 
kind of universe at the same time? Yeah, I think they'll find their own specialties. They'll find their own specialties in terms of consumers and in terms of location. Uh, again, the, the areas that can benefit the most from, say, the complexity of hydrogen would be your West Coast and then your Northeast Coast initially. Um, they're going to have the greatest benefit. Will you have a lot of hydrogen in Nebraska? I don't know. Um, but, you know, you'll have different sweet spots for different technologies based on the cost of the technology and what people need to use their vehicles for in those areas. So very much Hyundai is a broad spectrum, full spectrum eco manufacturer. We're, we're developing all these technologies. But we do want people to know that we're also on the cutting edge of things like fuel cell. We're investing. I mean, Hyundai is really investing in the future because um, the profits for fuel cell will come much later. But we want to be a leader now because we can see the future and we know it's important. So um, uh, it's, it's, it's having a solution for all consumers, all situations and being ready and being one of the leaders. You have to. How do you, you convince know, those people to take the leap? How do you convince those people to be your consumers, to leave the gasoline car behind and make a leap to something like that? Because it's still kind of there's like this uh, psychological barrier for people. How do you get them past yeah. that? Well, for, you know, for a lot of people, it might be a progressive thing. So let's say someone has been driving, driving a Prius, right? Prius was one of the very early dominant um, hybrid vehicles, right? Um, uh, or whatever, they're driving whatever product. Um, and maybe they're like, you know, I, the plug-in's a little more uh, more of an eco vehicle because I can charge up at night when the electricity's cheap and when um, the systems are, you know, you don't have as much demand on the grid. And so that's very cheap, efficient energy. I'm going to do that. I'm going to plug in at night and I'm going to achieve most of my commute um, every day with good, clean, zero emissions electricity from my home or, or place of business. Okay. And then, uh, then they move on. They say, hey, look, I really think for one of my family members, I don't even have to have the plug-in. I can go full EV. Full EV means there's you know, no gasoline being burned, right? That's a more extreme case. That's your progression. Hybrid, plug-in hybrid, EV, and then hydrogen fuel cell. But we're um, still talking about kind of these the small group of people that's doing this right now. Even if you look at the Prius, it's by yeah. no means anywhere close to the most common vehicle on the road. Hybrids are still a, a, a minority. It's the yes. vast majority of the population that you need to make the shift in order to right. make the infrastructure worth it to buy, right? Yeah, yeah, that, that's true. I mean, it, it's fairly painless to do a hybrid right now. Basically, a hybrid is simply a, a high mile right. per gallon car, car. It really, unless you're a performance person, um, you, you know, hybrid really doesn't tax you. I mean, you basically just drive it. <laughs> right. Um, there's really nothing to it. Um, so that's the most elementary step. It, there does need to be a, some personal mo motivation in terms of, um, being concerned about the environment and wanting to, quote, do your part, et cetera. Um, that's, that's an important piece. And I think that'll happen gradually as more and more people um, uh, say, hey, you know, I, my friend drives one of these. It doesn't seem like a penalty box in any, any sense. And, and I think they're really nice cars. They're reliable. They're affordable. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drive one of these vehicles. And it, like anything, it, it grows in, in time. So right. uh, it, it's a difficult thing to forecast, but they're definitely out there. Definitely out there. So I want to circle back to the end program a little bit. Where sure. were you and what do you remember feeling like when you found out that you won the car of the year award from road and track? Oh, you were up car. against Porsche. You're up against the Corvette. I mean, it yeah. was a pretty big deal. What did, what was going on? Yeah. Well, um, I can't remember exactly where I was. Um, I might've been uh, auto show or somewhere, but uh, we knew we were in the running. We were new, you know, sometimes there's talk, you know, we knew we were in the strong running, but we didn't know for sure. Um, and uh, we were pretty excited. And, you know, we look, I, I, I wrote the press release, so I had to take a look at, you know, what was it going to say? And, um, uh, you know, we looked at the competitors and they're all quite expensive. Right. And we said, well, you never know with our affordability uh, angle of, you know, 26, 27 grand starting point, maybe, maybe we'll attract the, the enthusiast or the purest vote, you know, the early purest vote, the affordable purest vote. And um, lo and behold, we did, um, you know, there was the cars that went up against Corvette and M2 competition. And I believe the McLaren was in there and uh, the new Corvette, et cetera. I don't remember every vehicle. I think a Lambo was in there. Um, they're all phenomenal cars, but many of them are in the, at, you know, the um, stratosphere, right? Um, they're unrelatable for a lot of people. So the, the, uh, the uh, editors at Road & Track felt our car was very relevant. Um, it was very relevant because virtually anybody can get into a loan for a $26,000 car. And it, it delivered a very visceral driving experience. I think everyone would agree with that. The Veloster N delivers a very visceral um, experience, especially at its price point. It's very involving. 
Um, Albert Bierman likes to talk about heartbeats per minute. And um, so, you know, you won't see us saying, hey, we lapped the Nürburgring in eight minutes. You'll see the, the, what we really are after is people feeling excited and invigorated when they drive the car. So do you hook a yeah. cardiogram up to people when you send them out on a, on a test drive? The engineers <laughs> have a cardiogram? It's possible. I haven't seen that, but um, but it's absolutely, you know, it, it, maybe it's a smilogram, you know, when they come in, how much they're smiling. But uh, basically, uh, yeah, it's something to that effect, something to that effect. So yeah. what are you guys working on next? Can you tell us what's going on? Because you got two cars right now, one uh -huh. in Europe and one here. And uh -huh. Albert was talking about this mid-engine thing. Is there anything mm -hmm. you can tell us about what's coming down the pike that we don't already know about? Well, I can speak in general terms. I can't. Obviously oh, come can't on. <laughs> well, I, can, no, I can give you, I can give you some, I mean, let me, I'll give you the, the easy one, which is look for more electrification. Okay. But that's sure. not, uh, that's not uh, earth bending. Um, but, uh, but you will see a lot more electrification. Um, we're very actively pursuing electrification in a lot, lot of vehicles and in performance. So count on that. Definitely. Well, that's what I was going to ask if we're going to have an electric end car is kind of what I expect to see coming soon. Uh, I, I wouldn't be able to comment on it, but but they're very they're very interested in, in electrification, and they have bought uh, a share in Remac and have a very strong relationship with Remac. So uh, those are facts that you can look up on uh, Google real easy. <laughs> so um, we can so, read between the lines. I appreciate that. Yeah. So um, look, I mean, they see electrification as the future. Um, it's coming. It's coming hard and fast. Um, Porsche Taycan, et cetera. So, um, you know, it's coming and, uh, you know, we're going to we're going to roll with with what consumers want and what the market's going to want. Um, what do you think the price there, point would be that would be fair for something like that from Hyundai? If you guys were to come out with a with an electric end car, what kind of price range within five, ten thousand dollars are you thinking? Oh, there's so many variables there. I couldn't possibly, um, you know, typically we'll have a very good value position against any equivalent competitor by several grand. Um, that's a very common position for well, us. Well, Taycan is $150,000. So <laughs> yeah, we would, and we would, we wouldn't, we wouldn't enter that. We wouldn't enter, enter that, that space. Um, you know, we would, uh, we would be in uh, other space. Um, look, look what we did. Look what we did with Gloucester. Right. right. Um, so um, that's, that's more of um the, the, the space we play in. Um, so let me speak in broad terms where I can, I'm, I can definitely make a comment. Um, so electrification would definitely come. Um, and then the other thing is with our N brand, we've gone on record as saying, look, we're going to have N models, which are purest N cars. Okay. And that's not going to be every N car. Um, there's also going to be N line cars, um, which is all akin to, uh, I'm not even sure what Porsche would call it, but uh, BMW, um, BMW's performance uh, accessory type. Or like our line from Volkswagen or something. Correct. Exactly. We're going to have a strong lineup there. Those are cars that have very good handling, very fun to drive, very enjoyable, some styling uh, attributes that are enhanced, but not necessarily track, sustained track capable. The difference with N is that um, those vehicles are sustained track capable, meaning you can actually do, you know, drive the vehicle during the week and drive it to track do some sustained drag driving. It has the thermal capability to endure that kind of abuse and then still drive the vehicle home. So that's a big difference here. So, so obviously we're not going to do that to every car. Well, I implore money. you to what, what seems to happen is that a lot of companies will come out with something and then it slowly, if you look at what happened, I know you probably can't comment on this, but if you look mm -hmm. at what happened to the M division, now mm -hmm. M stands for marketing. So yes. I beg of you not to, Take the slippery slope route as as you stay there, and right. uh, and keep turning out these great these great cars. I ha I'm yet to drive a Veloster N. I'd I'd like to. Um, I'm going to try and figure out a way to make that happen. I really want to get behind the wheel of one. Are you going to get one through Joel? You should get one through Joel Federer. I I will talk to Joel and see if uh, see if he can get one. Yes, absolutely. Look, I mean, I think by separating the true N cars from N line cars and N accessories and such, we'll we'll be able to keep our eye on the ball in terms of that concern. Well, I appreciate it, man. Is there is there uh, where can people find out more about uh, Hyundai N and, and that program? Yeah, there's there's two things. Uh, so there's Hyundai USA, our consumer site, Hyundai, HyundaiUSA.com, and then uh, HyundaiNews.com, uh, which is a wide open PR site. We don't require any passwords or anything. You can get anything you want there on any Hyundai product, including all the N products, the Eco products, Nexo, etc. All that's wide open at the tabs at the top. Very easy to figure out. Yeah, huge resource videos, great videos, great photography, 
news releases, et cetera. It's all on HyundaiNews.com. I, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast, man. It was great to spend some time with you today. And I and I encourage you to keep up the good work and uh, keep pushing this. Maybe you guys can make an influence on some of the other manufacturers with your success. We're going to keep trying. All right. Thank take you, care of yourself, man. Thanks, Chris. Yep. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Many thanks to to Derek for coming on the podcast. I had a lot of fun with that. And, you know, it's always fun to talk to guys that are that are in it, right? Because we right. always kind of get to, you know, we read about things or we can read news or press releases, but getting the kind of the thought processes of the guys that are really involved in pushing this stuff forward. Well, that and he has a history with the company. He's been there 16 years, been there 16 he years. said. And believe it or not, he's a Porsche guy. He's had a ton of Porsches. Oh, he I did not know that. He didn't mention it. Um, <laughs> he mentioned a bunch of old bugs, which yeah. is cool, but he ended up with a lot of Porsches as well. So he's a super enthusiast guy. And between between him being a you know old Volkswagen old Porsche guy, kind of graduating into working on on the Miata project, which yeah, was that's neat. Cool. Um, a real driver's car there, obviously for some people that like straw hats, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then obviously Hyundai, what they're doing with the with the N program. Yeah, and I they are serious. I didn't realize that they had an R and D center right there at the Nurburgring. Wild. That's cool. That is wild. So they can, I don't know, how would it, great would it be? Go, yeah, guys, I'll be right back. And just go hop in a just car and go for a lap. Pound it around. Yep. Yeah. You just got your lifetime wristband. You just go take as many laps <laughs> as you want. How does that work? I don't know. I that think would... there's, I think there's research and development days. I think there's manufacturer days. There are. I think yeah. there's stuff like that. But hey, you know, if you can get a car that's just private license plate and send George out there to go do a couple hot laps. That's pretty awesome. It is so, very cool. So it, kudos it just to, shows how serious they are about that. And, you know, kudos to them to being like I said in the interview, I really think that a lot of manufacturers are getting lost in mm. in the luxury and the technology and everything right. else. And it drives the cost of these cars up so much to the point where they're completely unattainable. Right. Like, there's nobody that can afford. I can't. Lots of people can afford it. Okay. <laughs> I can't afford to go out and buy a brand new Golf R for $44,000 or whatever right. they cost or a 1M or any of this these types or M2 or any of these types of crazy performance cars that I'm sure are great to drive. Or an RS3 like I saw in the parking lot today. Yeah. Damn, that car looks good. Does. I'll never own one. They're expensive. What do those things cost? Eighty thousand dollars? Nah, not quite. But but whatever. They're yeah, not. They they're don't not start cheap. at around thirty grand. Exactly. Like these so no. I'm glad that someone's out there making a basic driver's car, and exactly. I think that's really cool. So we'll we'll pay attention to see where Hyundai goes. So another thing I loved was the hydrogen car conversation with right. them. And I have to say, I do really like the idea of a hydrogen vehicle. They have all the benefits of an electric now that, car. Now that you know they're not going to explode. Now that I have some assurance that they are not going to explode <laughs> like an Hindenburg. No, I like how they have all the benefits of an electric car without the weight penalty of hauling around all these batteries. I just, so, I, I wish I had more information on performance-oriented hydrogen. Right. I mean, like, what, can you generate enough power from that chemical process? Can you generate process? enough power right now exactly. from that process? Like, what is, what do we maybe need to do? Maybe combined with, like, capacitors or something. Yeah, maybe something like that. You know, some large capacitors that'll just discharge immediately and Right. I think it's just too neck. bad. I mean, the, the limiting factor, like you said, though, is the infrastructure. Right. And we don't have that in place. And so. I have to say, concerning the infrastructure, he kind of has this, what seems almost like a three-tiered approach. Like, yeah. we have gasoline, or I guess it would be almost four tiers. You have gasoline, you have hybrids, you have full electric, and then you have the uh, the hydrogen cars. Well, and also plug-in hybrid, too, in there. Yeah. He well, kind of differentiated. I don't think that there's enough room for that many different infrastructures. People aren't going to... Well, hybrid, plug-in hybrid, and electric are all using the same technology. Do you think it's almost akin to gasoline and diesel? Like some people drive diesel cars, some people drive gasoline cars. Do you Because th there's a diesel pump, do you think right. there would just be a hydrogen pump for the yeah. people that want to do I that? I guess so. That would make sense. It just seems like that type of technology is so drastically different in... When we think about it as, as it being a, a hybrid, it's not, right? Because it's generating electricity, it's doing its little hybrid thing, it's an electric car. But I think in terms of consumer perspective, mm -hmm. a hydrogen car is a lot different than an electric car. So I think that's going to be kind of the thing that we have to overcome. Yeah, probably. All right, but we need to talk about Petrolbox. Petrolbox is a monthly subscription service specifically for the automotive enthusiast. Each month, they carefully select items including tools, detailing supplies, apparel, garage gear, stickers, publications, and send all of it right there to your doorstep. There's actually two different levels of this subscription to choose from. You have the Petrobox Basic, which costs less than 20 bucks a month, while the Petrobox Premium gets you even more gear for $39.95 a month. Be sure to check those guys out at mypetrolbox.com and use the code OVERCREST at checkout to get $6 off 
your first month. And we're going to actually be putting something in that petrol box. I'm working on it. It's a secret right now. That's right. But we're going to be putting something in the petrol box for uh, all those guys. And um, you, you'll probably be able to buy it on our website for the same cost as it would be to just sign up for petrol box. So you might as well place. sign up for petrol so you box. You might as well sign up. Um, I'm not sure exactly when that's coming out yet. It's been kind of slow going, getting it figured out, but I think it'll be worth it. Absolutely. So with that... Monday is news. Yep. And then next week's possibly a history episode. That's right. I'm working um, through a couple different concepts on that. And uh, make sure you guys hit the subscribe button on this podcast. We want to be able to deliver you guys something a couple times a week. So hit that, descri- that subscribe button. Otherwise, we will see you guys on Monday. Take care. Bye-bye.